Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. People use God as a scapegoat or an excuse or justification for all kinds of things that have nothing to do with him. When the Bible commands people not to take the Lord's name in vain, I was told growing up that that meant we weren't allowed to say, oh my God, or Jesus Christ in a cursing way. I think that has nothing to do with what the Bible's talking about. I think when we're told to not take the Lord's name in vain, that means we're not supposed to attribute things to God that are not God, say that God said things he didn't say, not do things in the name of God that he didn't author. I want to tell you my story. It's a spiritual journey. I've had a lot of spiritual experiences in my life, but the stories I'm going to tell you here, I'm going to share moments that were obviously not me. God doesn't talk to me in these ways all the time, but there have been stark exceptions where he communicated with me explicitly and directly. These experiences were marking and gravely influential in my identity and my journey. My story absolutely involves God as a central figure and influencer in this process. I know for some of you that automatically discredits me. I get that. Um, others of you, that it raises suspicion. Um, I promise you to the best of my ability, I am going to tell you my story as objectively as I'm capable of. Obviously there's subjectivity in it. It's my perspective, it's my experience. But I'm gonna be relaying to you details and facts of what I've lived out and what has happened to me as objectively as I'm able, uh, hoping to convey what I've witnessed specifically about God, this person that we all have ideas about. I hope you'll listen with consideration. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything in particular, but I do want to share my story and I do want to tell you who I've witnessed God to be in my life. We're going to start with when I was a kid. Let's go all the way back. As a kid, I was taken to Sunday school at four years old and got to hear the gospel from the Baptists. So it was Jesus was sent to earth, God's son, to live a perfect life because all of us were sinners and we needed someone to save us because we were filthy and evil and we're going to hell. And hell is a place in eternity where you go to burn forever. And this is a lot of information to get at four. <laughs> and the only way to be spared this eternal conscious torment destination was to accept Jesus into your heart and ask him to forgive you and be the Lord and Savior of your life. So I prayed that prayer and entered the Baptist religion and joined the Christian community and um, started learning how to be a good Christian kid from the get-go. I was put in private school, got to memorize passages of scripture for a grade. I learned the rules. My teachers had paddles. It was a crazy environment, but very effective in getting kids to behave and learn what they're supposed to know. So fast forward, I was 10 years old. I'm sitting in the bathroom by myself. I'm about to take a shower and I'm having this like existential moment. I'm just sitting there like being very pensive and introspective. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all these different moments of my childhood come screaming into this cohesive, singular accusation. I started thinking about the way that I related to my sister and my parents and the way I experienced people around me. I was a sensitive kid. I was really empathetic and um, usually very sensitive to other people and their mood and their emotions and their spiritual atmosphere. I wanted physical connection and like affection and intimacy and wanted to talk about my feelings. I got along with girls a lot more than I got along with the boys. Just recalling all those experiences, all of a sudden there's this fateful night where I'm in the bathroom by myself and I realize there's a word we have for someone like me. And that word is gay. And so the thought in my head was, oh my gosh, I'm gay. And my heart sank like dread because I'm a Christian. I'm a Baptist and I am borderline almost professional Christian at that point. Like I know the deal and I know that Christians can't be gay. I know that gay people are evil and they're going to hell, that they're a perversion or an abomination, that 
they can't inherit the kingdom. Like, I know this. I was very aware of our attitude and belief about this. And so I got to make a decision that night. And I realized, like, I, I can never tell anybody this. This isn't allowed to be true about me. So I'll have to hold this as a secret for the rest of my life. And I, like, wondered if I would ever get married. And if I did get married, like, would I... Would, would I be lying? Like, could I have kids? Like, is this permanent? Would I, would this change? And I was 10, I didn't know what to do with all this. So I shoved it down, like deep down and just kind of hoped it would go away. A couple years later, my best friend and I were hang would hang out all the time, spend the night at each other's houses. And uh, we ended up fooling around. Um, and that lasted for a little over two years. We were physically intimate. Um, he and I both just like, we never talked about it, but it was very much a thing that we did. And so I got to grow in my shame and my self-hatred and the hypocrisy that I'm walking around with and feeling very out of place. And like, I, I don't belong in church. I don't belong in this relationship. I don't, this doesn't make sense. I'm not supposed to be living this way. <laughs> one night I got in a fight with my mom. We got in like a really bad fight. It was like one of the bad, worst fights we'd gotten into. And I ended up locking myself in the bathroom and like, Closed, like, closed the door, locked the door, turned the lights off, sank to the floor and buried my face and just bawled for like a, a while. I was in there for a couple hours. And I was so sad and so lonely and in so much pain. And I remember like it got so dark that my, um, I, was, I was praying and I told the Lord like, I don't wanna wake up tomorrow. I don't wanna be alive. I don't wanna live my life. Uh, and it was because like, I didn't, there was no one in my life who knew me, right? Who understood or like even knew what I was experiencing in this place. And I knew that if I told them, they couldn't understand because everyone I knew was a Christian and we were all very religious and there was no space for someone like me in the world that I was living in. And I know that's not everyone's experience. Uh, it's probably difficult to imagine like wanting to kill yourself if you've never gotten to the point where the future you saw was not I didn't have any hope. Like you didn't want to be there. It felt more painful to be here than to not be. But um, I wanted out. And I wasn't going to kill myself, but I like imagine like maybe getting hit by a car or just like not waking up the next day. And then I remember thinking like, I don't ever want anybody that I know to feel this way. I don't ever want someone who has a relationship with me to end up in a bathroom on the floor in the dark thinking that no one in their life could know them or would want to or understand what they're experiencing, even if it's unacceptable. And so I like made an oath with myself that night and I swore that I would do everything I could to make sure that people who knew me um, would know that I would be at least one person who'd be willing to listen to them and meet them where they were and not judge them and not hold whatever against them and at least be there with them. Cause that's what I needed and I didn't have it. And that oath to myself is what got me up off the floor that night. So later that summer I went to Bible camp, which I did every summer, a Baptist Christian Bible camp, summer camp, right? And that speaker that year, every message he delivered was on sexual immorality. And, you know, he mentioned how, like, the gays were proof that the world was becoming more lost and more worldly and more carnal. And, you know, they're all going to hell. And if we joined them, then we'd go to hell, too. And at one point, I remember I just, like, started hyperventilating in the middle of one of these sermons. Because um, I was convinced that God was going to reveal my dark secret to this preacher, which I was Baptist. So like, I didn't even believe in that stuff back then, but <laughs> for some reason in this moment, that was going to happen. And my, I was going to get exposed and then I was going to lose my identity and my community and whatever. And so like, I had to leave. I got up and walked out, which never happened, but I just needed to like regain my composure. And I, when I was out of the amphitheater, I was like, Mike, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life? Cause I was still like fooling around with my friend, right? I was like, you got to stop this. You can't keep doing this. This is unacceptable. It's, this is wrong. And so I made a decision that day, or sorry, that week at camp that I was going to stop being friends with him and I was going to cut him out of my life. This person was the closest person to me. I felt the most intimate and the most loved by this person. And also it was the most inappropriate relationship that I had. So I cut him out of my life. I just stopped accepting invitations to go to his place. I stopped inviting him to mine and we just kind of grew apart. So I went through high school um, like a sexless being. I like didn't have... Uh, that part of my life happening. I didn't like people were dating. Every, everyone was dating everybody else and talking about it all the time. And I just had to continue to dodge those conversations. And my parents didn't let us date at my house in high school. So that was an easy like out of that conversation. But um, I was basically on hold in that area of my life and just busied myself with being around the broken kids. And I got very sensitive to broken people around me. I saw them everywhere and just felt so drawn to them and just pulled them into my life and you know, tried to help in whatever ways that I could. Um, and that was a, like a nice distraction from like the freeze that I was living. <laughs> so anyway, 
one day I was, in, I was 18 and I was at uh, an adult Sunday school class and the teacher asked if people wanted to share like testimonies of things that God was doing in their lives. And this one girl shared a testimony of this gay actor who was playing the main, like the male lead of this Christian film, this missionary film about Jim Elliott's life. Um, and she was sharing how he came out to the director and the producers halfway through the production of the film because he felt like they deserved to know that a gay guy was playing their main character. And so they prayed and they came back to him and they told him that they felt like God wanted him to play the role. And this is the testimony that she's sharing. And it was like crickets in the room. Like it was so quiet and awkward. And I'm like, why is she sharing this right now? This is so uncomfortable. And we all kind of just awkwardly recovered from that testimony and moved on with our lives. And so then after Sunday school, I went to the adult service and I didn't realize at the time how impactful that testimony was. But I'm in adult ser the adult service and we're singing the same songs we sing every Sunday. Like I could sing these songs in my sleep. I know them, you know, like the back of my hand. And the first song was about how God is the only God in our lives and that we would lay down everything else that had become important to us so that God could be our number one. And while we're singing it, remember, I know this song, like this is not new, but all of a sudden, for whatever reason this time, things were different and all of a sudden God was there. Like I was aware of him. I was exposed to him for the first time in my life. I'd never experienced anything like this. God was there and he was talking to me and he like exposed to me that everything about my life was about me, that my time, my schedule, my relationships, my ministry, everything. Like this is all about me and what I wanted and how I wanted to feel. And he wasn't accusing me. It just became obvious that that's what my motivator was. And it was so implicating. And I started crying because it was so like awkward how true it was and how blind I was to it, how I just didn't know. And so I started crying and just feeling all this remorse. I'm like, yeah, that's true. And that's not good. And how did I get here? And then the next song was about knowing Jesus, which, you know, I met Jesus and got saved when I was four. I've been saved for like 14 years. But all of a sudden... We're singing about knowing Jesus and he's the, he's the best thing ever and he's what we want. And this just intense wave of emotion just like erupted from some deep place in me that I was not aware of. And I just started bawling. Ooh. I sank to, the, to my seat and just like covered my face and sobbed. Because for the first time I realized that this thing I was feeling wasn't new. This wasn't a new experience. This thing that was coming out of me was old. Like I had this ache in my soul my whole life. Hold up. I want to take a second to tell you guys about Numa Plus. This is our streaming service that we launched at the beginning of 2022. We've compiled the video content from the last six years into one convenient place. So now, instead of paying anywhere from $50 to $200 for a single course, it's just $15 a month for access to all of them. It's crazy, I know. Why are we doing that? The answer is simple. I wanted to make our content accessible to as many people as possible. We'll also be releasing new content that will be exclusively available on Numa Plus. Visit numaplus.com to subscribe today. I didn't know that I was allowed to know Jesus. I thought that he left the planet 2000 years ago. I was told that he raised from the dead and then lifted off the ground and like ascended into the clouds, right? Verbatim in the book. He was gone. And I didn't know that I believed that he was not available, but that was true. That's what I thought. And then all of a sudden he was there and he was available and I could know him. And that desire was validated and real and it changed my life. And I, I lost it. I just bawled the rest of the service and couldn't regain my composure. So that kind of changed my life. It was a big shift. I thought Christianity was kind of boring and I'd reached the pinnacle of it. And then all of a sudden Jesus was real. And so all of a sudden life was possible. And about eight months later, I'd been going to another church. They had a college group like ministry on Friday nights. And this pastor that would speak there was different. Like when he spoke, you could just feel something was happening, something profound and significant and spiritual when he spoke. So one night, like months later, I've been going to this Friday night service and this pastor was preaching out of Mark 1. It's a story where the leper comes to Jesus, falls on his knees and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And the Bible says that he was immediately healed of his leprosy. And then the pastor stopped reading the Bible and he just looked at us in the audience and he said, God is here to heal you. It doesn't matter what you have or how long you've had it or, you know, like the issues that are associated with it. Like he's here to change your life. Um, and I didn't hear anything else he said after that because like faith erupted in my being and I knew my life was about to change. I was aware like something deeply spiritual was happening that I wasn't in control of and I wasn't trying to make happen. It was just happening. And so I went and got my little communion cup and my cracker and went back to my chair. I got on my knees like that leper. And you have to realize up to this point in my life, I had one prayer that I consistently represented to God. 
And my prayer was, God, please make me straight. Make me normal. Make me like the other guys. Make me like girls and not guys. Like fix me, heal me, right? That was my continued prayer. So I got on my knees, folded my hands, and I said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he and I both know what I meant, right? And then something dramatic happened. I'm not exaggerating. I'm just going to tell you what happened. I said that, and then I fell away from my body fast. I went down. I don't know why, um, but I like descended quickly into a dark place that was quiet and solitary, and earth was over here, like far away. It was like a long time ago and small and irrelevant. And I'm like suspended in this quiet, dark place. And I'm aware that God is here, but it's just us. And he asked, he said to me first, Mike, you've only ever told me what to do with this in your life. And it wasn't an accusation. He wasn't mad. He just was like revealing that to me. And when he said it, it was again, like obviously true. It had been true this whole time. And I just didn't know. And it was like, I felt like an idiot for not realizing that how true this was. And then also like grieved and like remorseful because of how it was in that space. It was so obvious that it was inappropriate for me. My heart posture was so out of line to be telling this person what to do, to be instructing him, to be demanding from him things that I know I'm supposed to have or be or whatever. And I didn't know up to that point that that was inappropriate. Um, but all of a sudden it was very obvious. Like I was out of line. And so I got to apologize and clean that up. And I'm already crying right in that moment. So I like we, that got dealt with. And then this giant left hand came over my left shoulder and he said, and you're right. On the one hand, I can change you. I can make you different. You can leave this building a different person and the world will be different to you. And I could tell in that hand there was power. Like something was moving and it's the thing I was asking for. My whole life it was right there. And then this other hand, other giant hand came over my right shoulder and he said, but on the other hand, I want this to remain a little longer. And my first response to that was shock. Um, I was shocked. I was not expecting that because God wasn't allowed to say that to me. He couldn't want this to remain like, this is unbiblical. This is ungodly. This is sinful. He can't say this to me. This is heresy, right? But I'm, there's no question this is God. So I'm like, okay, uh, whoa. And I realized like he's different and not playing by our rules. And then the next thought I had was I can never tell anybody that he told me, that he told me this. Like no one's going to believe me. Or if, they, if I told them, they would think I was listening to a demon or like some being who came to me and, and deceived me and like showed up as if it was like some being of light. And I'm like, there was no light to be found. But th this is not anybody other than God. And I'm having to deal with the, the maker of the world. Like, so I realized, okay, it's just me and him. No one else is going to be part of this. Like we're going to walk this out. So I sat there and I deliberated. I'm like, okay, he deserves a response. What am I going to do with this? Uh, the thing I wanted my whole life and then something else that he wants. And then also I want to just clarify down there. I don't know. It doesn't work the same. Like there's no pretense. There's no excuse. There's no way to hide anything. Um, you're just exposed and naked and, and laid bare. And also, as I was considering what to say, how I wanted to, res wanted to respond, my whole being just like lined up and then my mouth opened and I meant with everything about me what I said. And I said, God, I want what you want for my life more than what I want. So if you want this to remain a little longer, so do I. And then immediately I was back in my body. I was out of that place. The church service was like over. People were walking around and talking. The lights were on. And I was like, what just happened? Did that just happen? It was surreal. It was so bizarre. So I did a quick scan of the room. I just wanted to see, like, did, did he heal me? And so I just tried to see any of the pretty girls in the room. Was there any kind of attraction there? And nothing was firing. I was like, oh. So then I, like, looked at some of the guys. I'm like, oh, crap. Yep, nothing changed. I'm still the same. And I was about to be disappointed, but I was distracted by this intense peace that was, that was there that I'd never known before. Something weighty was holding me. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't afraid of people finding out my dark secret. It wouldn't be the end. Um, my father met me in my most rejectable place and loved me there, accepted me there and wanted me there. Um, so something in my life changed that day. I still wanted to be straight, but I didn't have the shame and the fear and the rejection like I did before that experience. It changed my life. So anyway, a few months later, I became really, I was really good friends with this girl and she and I were like hanging out all the time. I had no attraction to her, but I enjoyed her as a friend and I knew that she was in love with me. And so eventually I like ended up telling her that I struggled with my sexuality. 
Um, and so one day she's like, Mike, what if we dated? Like, you've never sincerely dated a girl before. Maybe that could do something. Maybe you'll experience something you didn't know you could or whatever. And I was like, maybe. So I told her I'd think about it. Um, I was like, give me a few weeks. I'll think about it. So in that few week period of time, I was again at that Friday night service and we, you know, we're worshiping and whatever. And then in the middle of the worship set, I'm sitting there deliberately, like trying to think about, am I going to date her? Is this something I'm going to do? There's nothing in me that wants this, but also like, what else can I do? Like how I, I don't want to just ignore this part of my life. Like what if something could change? And I'm sitting there genuinely trying to figure out what I'm going to do here. And then God showed up like the moment zeroed in and he, he was there and he's, and I didn't know that God could be hurt, but he was hurt. And he said to me, don't you trust me? I will take care of you. And he was hurt when he said it. And I just like lost it. I immediately just started crying and I didn't know that I could affect him that way. And it was also, again, just so obvious when he said this thing, it was like, that was true this whole time. And I just didn't know me even entertaining this conversation with this person was because I didn't trust him. The last time he said something, I didn't think he was going to take care of me. I needed to do this. And so I lost it. I started crying um, and got to clean that up and apologize. I didn't tell her that he said that to me, but I didn't date her a couple of, like a year later or so I'm working at an office job in Portland and all my friends are in college and doing whatever else. And I'm like working and I'm doing well at my job or whatever. Uh, but I went on a trip with some friends to San Francisco for the weekend. And when I came back on the drive back, my friend was telling him about telling me about his life, like these trips he was going on and his girlfriend and like, they're talking about getting married and just all these things in his life that were going right. that were going the way they were supposed to. And he was talking about his life as if God was doing this stuff on purpose. Like there was providence or like he was living out his destiny or something. And I remember feeling jealous. I'm like, man, I wish I had a destiny. <laughs> and then I was like, when did I get to the point where I don't believe that God had a plan for my life? How did I get here? Because at that point, my MO or my ethos was you make the best decisions you can with what you have. And then hopefully God blesses the choices you make. That's like where I was at. So the next morning I'm at my job and I'm depressed. I'm like, I was just hanging out with my friends all weekend. We had this, this foreign city and it was awesome. And now I'm back at this like depressing job. So I got over that. It's about one o'clock in the afternoon. And I look over at this woman and I just think whatever I'm thinking, it didn't matter. But when I looked away from her, time started to act funny. And again, this is like a weird experience. I'd, I'm going to try and explain. It was like, bam, 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 bam. Time like fragmented into sections. And by the time I looked at my computer screen, everything stopped and was quiet. The world was still and silent. And so I just sat there suspended. And then someone spoke to me with the voice in my head that I think my thoughts with. And I realize as I say that now, I sound like a crazy person. Um, but he hijacked that voice and he said, what are you doing here, Mike? And I was like, what? And he said, you're not supposed to be here. I have something else for you. And then everything went back to normal. All the noise, all the people, everything. And I was like, what just happened? I grabbed the woman next to me. <laughs> she, I was like, Angela. She's like, what? And I was like, and I realized like Angela's an atheist. I, I, I can't tell her this. I was like, I, I have to go to the bathroom. And she was like, Okay. So I went to the bathroom and I just paced back and forth. So shocked. And I was like, I think God just talked to me. I think God just talked to me. And I just said that over and over and over again, like a mantra, because I'd never experienced anything like this in my life. Um, so in my heart, I quit my job. I didn't actually quit for another eight months, but I was ready to leave, even though I needed that job for security and like significance and a def definition of who I was. After that happened, I was still going to that college group on Friday nights. And we would, you know, the lights would turn off and the band would be on stage and we'd be singing and just worshiping God. Um, and one night, um, God was there and I had encountered God a, few, a couple of times up to this point, right? In different ways. And this time he didn't say a word to me, but he was in the room. It's not like he wasn't there before and then came this night. I think he was there always, but for whatever reason this time, like I was exposed. I was sensitive to him. I was aware. So he showed up and I just started crying because I couldn't compute this person. First of all, me trying to say words about this is just not going to do it justice. Um, but the magnitude and the size of this person, just the sheer immensity of him was so overwhelming. And he was moving toward me, if you will. And he was so humble, like lowly of heart. It was humiliating how humble he was. Like it didn't make any sense. And like the way he was postured toward me was so inappropriate. Like he wanted to care for me and like serve me in that moment. And I was like, um, in the, the magnitude and the vastness of his personhood, every little ounce that you could possibly measure was pure. It was clean. 
was innocent. Like I remember thinking, like being surprised. I'm like, I didn't realize that God was innocent. This is so weird, but he's, yeah, that's the word. And I didn't know what the word holiness was until that experience. Uh, I remember wishing that I was dead, not because not like the same reason as when I was in middle school, but, um, or I remember wishing that there was like a hole in the floor that I could just crawl into and disappear. Cause I didn't want to be in the same room as this person. Like I couldn't handle being in the same space as someone like this. He was too good. He was too kind, too generous, too lovely. I couldn't handle it. Uh, and so I got snot and tears are streaming out of my face. And then when worship was over and the lights turned on, I just like had a pool of my own fluids in my hands. And I was like, oh, and I looked like Smeagol caught in the cave with my precious, but it wasn't a good moment. After that service was over, I was looking around at everybody. And I'm like, whoa, it was this crazy experience. I was like, I don't think anyone else realizes this, but God just changed all of us. Like we're different. And I'm looking around at the people in the room and everybody was perfect. Nothing was wrong with anyone. And I didn't have to protect myself from anybody. I didn't have to like anticipate things they were going to do. And like, all I wanted to do was like contribute to their lives and like help and like care for them and like increase their joy. And I'm like, what is happening? And then I watched how everyone else was behaving and I'm like, oh, they don't realize that we changed. Like they don't get it. And it was so confusing. And then the next Friday, the same thing happened. He was there and I'm a snot nosed mess and I'm losing it. I just can't be around this person. And then after the service is over again, everyone is perfect again. And I'm like, what is happening? It took like four or five times of this happening before I realized this wasn't happening to everybody else. It was only happening to me. And then I also realized like, oh, I think what, what's happening here is that this is love. This is the agape, the unconditional altruistic love that comes from God flooding my being and changing the way that I see people and the way I experience them, it was like rewriting me. Like I was changing. I wasn't being taught lessons. I was like being reprogrammed almost. It stopped being isolated to Friday nights. Like if I was at the store or like sitting next to somebody and they mentioned God or said the name Jesus, I would just start weeping because he was there. And it got even worse that if I saw somebody being kind to somebody else, I would lose it because Jesus was right there. And I was just so exposed all the time. I just couldn't protect myself from God and from his nature. It was just, he was everywhere and it was overwhelming. And I was just crying constantly. And my friends eventually, a few months later, were like a couple of them at different times would pull me aside and like, Hey dude, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, what do you mean? Like, you're, you're crying a lot. I'm like, I know. I'm like, are you sure? Like there's nothing else going on. I'm like, no. And then I would try to explain them why I was crying. So then I just end up talking about how beautiful God was. And I start crying again. And I like watch them glaze over. I'm like, oh, I look like a crazy person, but I didn't know what else to tell people. I didn't know how else to explain what was happening. And it was only me. Um, anyway, that lasted for six months. It was just, it was unrelenting and it was exhausting. I remember being physically tired all the time because I just was crying constantly. So I ended up moving to Japan. God said, you're not supposed to be here. I have something else for you. Right. And I was like, okay, I don't know where to go. I found a missions organization in Japan that I wanted to go be part of. So I went and did that for five months and that was an amazing experience. That was life-changing and impactful. Um, on the way back from that, that trip. So five months later, I'm coming back. I stopped by an Island called Guam, which is where I was born. And I was there for 10 days. And one of the days that I was there, I fell asleep praying a prayer. I told God, I was like, God, I want my life to be a window for you to get to express yourself, to like, to go after the things that are on your heart, the things that you care about to like, you know, demonstrate that here. I would love for my life to be a window for you to get to express that through. And I fell asleep praying that. And that night I had a dream. I was standing outside of Jesus' tomb. He was still buried, right? His body's like still in there. And I was trying to get to him, but I couldn't because there was a power that was keeping me from getting there. There was a woman there in a red corporate suit. And we were contending. I couldn't get past her. And she was like, we're going back and forth for a while. And then finally she goes, okay, fine, 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 fine. We'll get in there. We'll get his garments and you can have those, but you have to drop this. And his blood is no longer on my company's hands. And I fired back immediately. No, I want his dreams back from the dead. And then I woke up out of like a dead sleep. I was like, ugh. And I knew whatever happened was important. So I army crawled across the room and scribbled down every detail I could remember and then went back to sleep. A couple weeks later, I'm back in Oregon where I left and I was staying the night at my old apartment where my buddies were still living. And I was genuinely considering going back to everything I left behind, my apartment, my church, my job, everything. And I hit snooze that morning um, when I was waking up. And then I heard, again, someone subtly grabbed that voice in my head and spoke to me directly in English. And he said, this isn't the cemetery I brought you to. And I was like, what? What does that mean? 
uh, all I knew was that I couldn't stay in Oregon again. I was like, okay, so then where am I supposed to go? So I went on a walk. I used to talk to God a lot and like try and process this stuff out with him. I'm like, okay, God, you, you don't want me to stay here. That's fine. I'll leave. Where do you want me to go? And I just kept asking that throughout, like every day, you know, as I was in that space and he didn't say anything. After a couple of months, I realized like, he's not saying anything on purpose. Like he's intentionally silent. And I got a little nervous. I had another dream in that window of time where I was in this giant cathedral and I was trying to find some side room. I had to get there for, for whatever reason. And I couldn't. And I, I also saw this giant, weird, dark, brown and black demon in the sanctuary. It was big. Like it filled the whole room. And I knew because of this creature being here, I couldn't, that's what was keeping me from finding this room. And he had prevented a bunch of other people from finding this room too. And then the dream changed and somehow I was in the room and it was this other side, like cathedral in and of itself um, with pews and stained glass windows and a pulpit. But instead of people where the, pu the pews were, there were all these giant brass empty bullet casings. So I walked up to the first one and I pushed it. And when I did, blue light shot up out of it immediately. Like, and I, I knew this was right. This is supposed to happen. So I pushed another one and the same thing happened. Blue light shot up. So I pushed another one and same thing. So then I started like pushing them harder and faster. And I started running and shoving as many of them as I could. And as the ones that were disturbed hit other ones, everyone that got disturbed, blue light shot out of them until the room was filling with light. And then I woke up in this frenzy, right? I just woke up like, and again, I knew that was important. So I wrote that dream down. Fast forward, it had been about four months of like deliberating with God, like, okay, I'm leaving. Where do I go? I don't know where to go. Didn't say anything. And I had an idea of where I could go. I just didn't want to go there. I didn't want to move to Redding, California. So anyway, one day I came home at the end of my day and I closed the door to my bedroom and I was aware there was a spiritual presence in the room, like standing in front of my window across the room from me. Like it was so obvious and I was stopped and I was like, I said out loud, I know you're here. And when I did, something in my soul just broke or like gave way. And a week and a half later, I took everything I owned and I moved to Redding, California. I went to a ministry school in Redding um, and became really good friends with um, a girl who was uh, a fellow student of mine and she became a mentor to me. And we had a, a really uh, cool friendship. And a couple months into the school year, I remember pulling her aside and I told her about my past, about my struggles with my sexuality and some of the things that happened when I was in middle school. And I told her so she could pray for me. I thought if she prayed for me, maybe something would happen and you know, I would experience a miracle. So she did. We, were, we went to this side part of my apartment complex under these trees and she prayed for me. And nothing happened, but I, you know, I was still hopeful like maybe something in the school year would take place and I would experience some kind of radical breakthrough or some kind of miracle that would change my sexuality. And then in, I went and did the second year program with the school as well. And halfway through second year, I'm miserable. I don't know what's going on with my life. I don't know who I am. I don't know like what I'm doing. I don't want to be at school. I just, I feel miserable. So I, I remember I was standing with some friends during worship and during class time. And I went to the back of the room away from anybody I knew. I just needed to get away because I was just so just stuck. And so in the middle of that worship set, just trying to escape and leave everything, that moment kept replaying in my mind, that memory of pulling her aside next to my apartment complex and I'm, she's praying for me. And it just kept looping. And I was like, okay, God, are you saying something to me with this memory? Like, why is this happening? And the moment focused in and he said to me, you trusted her with something that belongs to me very clearly. And again, immediately, so I'm not like, ugh. when he speaks, it's not just like words, you know, like, his being is moving and something is happening to you and it rearranges what you are. And anyway, when he said that it was so obvious, like that's true. And again, I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I absolutely pulled her aside, hoping she would do something that God hadn't, hoping she would give me something he wouldn't. And again, there was this jealousy on his part of like, this is his. And so I got to repent for that. And I was like, oh, I got to clean this up. And I was kind of afraid because she was a scary person to me. So anyway, I like told her I, I need to not be friends right now. I need space, whatever. And so we kind of stopped being friends for the rest of the school year. And then at the end of the year, at the end of that school year, she told some pastors what I told her. Um, and they pulled me into the, the principal's office, basically the last day of school and told me that I wasn't going to graduate because, you know, I wasn't demonstrating in my character what they wanted their students to be exhibiting. Um, I didn't fully understand what was going on. It took a couple of years to figure out that the leaders thought that I was like living a double life, that I was like sleeping with other guys and then pretending to be this upstanding ministry stu school student, which wasn't true, but nobody asked those questions. Nobody gave me the opportunity to clarify any of that. I just got kicked out of school. 
it was awful and confusing. And some friends were like, what happened? And they kind of got on my case. I'm like, you need to address this. So finally I talked to the guy who kicked me out and was like, Hey, something's wrong. And he cleaned it up and apologized. They put me on this plan. Like they put me on these different things that I needed to do to like correct my error. Right? So I got scheduled for these different inner healing ministry sessions. When I got kicked out of school, I got put in the men's sexual purity group. And then I also did counseling with a couple of their like select counselors. Um, all of these efforts were to try and like heal my brokenness and fix my sexual perversion and correct my sexuality, right? And nothing budged, like nothing changed in any way. Um, I, I like experienced emotional like help in just those processes, but my sexuality was in no way affected. Uh, and I just kept being disappointed. I'm like, no, we're not done. No, it's not over. No, this wasn't enough. I'm still gay. You know what I mean? Like and nothing was changing there. So anyway, every once in a while, I'd just check in with the Lord. And I'm like, God, the whole reason I moved to California, to Reading, was because I came here to get your dreams back from the dead. I still don't even know what that means. But has that happened? And I just checked in every couple of years. Like, has it happened? And every time I checked in, it was a no. It was like, no, it still hasn't happened yet. No, it still hasn't happened. And then um, one day, uh, so at this point, you guys, I've gone on a journey and like I'm like now traveling and speaking from this the place that I went to learn right and I'm doing all these things so I was up in Oregon preaching at a church service uh, it was the middle of worship before I was about to get up to preach about 15 minutes and while I was there I that dream kept replaying in my mind where I was standing outside of Jesus's tomb right and that woman is arguing with me no I want his dreams back from the dead right that just kept looping and I'm like okay God are you trying to say something to me like why won't this go away I'm about to preach this is really distracting and then the moment zeroed in and he said to me Mike it's you you're it you are my dream back from the dead and I lost it you know right I started crying <laughs> because that's what I do when God says stuff I didn't know at the time, but in hindsight, as I look back, one, I cried because it was beautiful. Like it was this M. Night Shyamalan moment, right? The thing I'd been looking for this whole time was with me, of course, right? But there was another part of me that was crying because I couldn't accept that from God. I'm like, God, I can't be your dream back from the dead. I'm still gay. Like, this isn't it. I can't be what you want, right? It was basically like where my heart was. And I could not have told you that at the time, but um, I've done a lot of soul searching since then. And these things have become pretty apparent. Anyway, the last time I heard God verbatim say something to me was a couple years later, I had Zach and Mika, who are my sister and brother-in-law now. Um, they were interns of mine back then. And I had one rule for my interns that year. You are not allowed to date each other. You guys can date anybody else in the world. I don't care who you date, just no one on this team, right? There were five of them. And so Zach and Mika both knew the rules. They knew there was nothing could happen between them. So we were on a ministry trip, the two of them and another one of my interns, and we stopped at a safe way to use the bathroom. And so Mika was walking ahead of me and Zach was walking behind her playfully in her footsteps. And I was like 15 feet behind them on my phone. I looked up and when I looked at them in this moment, in my language, I'm going to say the spirit opened and I knew immediately they're getting married, even though nothing was happening. And I was offended. I all like immediately was like, oh, no. And then in the same moment, I heard God say to me, clear as day, you have forbidden something I have not. And I felt very confronted. I was like, whoa, it was like this weighty fear of God moment. It wasn't this like sentimental, you know, beautiful, holy moment. It was like a, hey, this needs to be fixed. And anyway, so a week later, I cleaned it up and they're married and, you know, their second child is going to be born any minute now. Anyway, so fast forward uh, a couple years later, I'm like also traveling and doing business. So I'm on a business trip. I'm on a layover in the Midwest somewhere. And someone on Instagram DMs me and they said, hey, can I send you my testimony? Can I email you my testimony? And I was like, sure. So I checked out my email and I opened the email and it immediately, the opening line says, I'm gay, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, what? I was so caught off guard. I was not expecting it to go that way. So I read the two page email and then shot him back an encouraging email. Like, hey, thanks for sharing. Love the journey you're on. Love your vulnerability. Keep going, whatever. Um, but by the time I got to my hotel room in Miami, I was distraught. I was deeply troubled. I felt very rejectable. I felt worthless. I also felt very gay. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be crude, but like just very like sexually charged. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I, I left my hotel room and went for a walk next to the, apart, uh, the hotel building. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. And I'm walking around in the dark, just like doing laps. I'm like, God, it's been 14 years since you told me you wanted this to remain a little longer. Is anything going to happen? Are you going to do something? Am I supposed to do something? Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm 32 years old. I'm a single minister like this is awkward I don't have a wife I don't have kids like 
my life's on hold. Are you going to do something about this? And he didn't say a word. It was this moment again where I'm like, oh, he's not saying anything. This is on purpose. Like, what am I doing? I'm also experiencing a ton of pain in my life because of the church that I'm a part of, because of the team that I'm running, because of just relationships in my life. None of this had, having anything to do with my sexuality. It was all just other things. And so I was processing a lot of pain at this point. And so this is about, Jan this is February 1st, 2020. Taylor Swift released a documentary on Netflix called Miss Americana on January 31st, 2020. So I watched that movie on February 1st. Um, by myself in the living room. And at some point in the movie, uh, Taylor Swift is in tears and she's going off about this politician she wants to oppose in Tennessee. She says she thinks that if you're a gay couple or if you even look like a gay couple, you should be allowed to be kicked out of a restaurant. This is about right and wrong at this point. And I can't just sit back and do nothing. And she's distraught. And I'd heard Taylor Swift talk about gay stuff before, but in this moment, something spiritual was happening and I could feel this like shaking almost, if you will. And I was like, what is happening? And I knew it was about this issue and whatever, but I didn't understand what was going on. I just knew there was the onset of conviction happening. And I was like, whoa. And so I just kind of was aware that happened and moved on with my life. A couple weeks later, I'm again, just kind of processing in my living room, literally like talking out loud to God, just processing pain, things I'm angry about, things I'm hurt by, things I'm confused by. And then I got interrupted in my mind with the, um, the passage in Acts 10 where Peter goes up on the roof and falls into a trance, right? I was like, what? It was so starkly out of nowhere and obvious. So I pulled my phone out just to, I'm like, what is this? So I pulled it out to read it. Peter goes on the roof, falls into a trance. A sheet comes down from heaven. And in the sheet, there's all these animals that Jewish people were not allowed to eat, right? And God says, rise, Peter, kill, eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten, and eaten anything unclean. And God says, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. This happens three times, and then the sheet goes back up into heaven. So I stopped reading, and I was like, ugh. And the only thing I'm aware of right now with this weird moment that's happening is the feeling I have now is the same feeling I had with Taylor Swift two weeks ago. It's the same thing. I knew that. So I was like, okay, is God trying to tell me that being gay is acceptable now? That feels like quite the leap. I don't have anything to substantiate that with. I'm, li I'm leaving this alone. So I left it alone. I didn't touch it. Three weeks later, I'm in the back of my neighborhood in the woods, literally yelling <laughs> to the universe, just so mad because the things that are happening to me professionally are just so unfair and unfounded and just handled so badly. I wish it was the only time I was treated poorly in that environment. But anyway, I was just so angry about it. Um, and yelling, and then I got interrupted again. This time it was a different passage. It was Jesus. This happens twice in the Gospels. Jesus is rebuking the teachers of the law. So I pulled it up, um, and he starts with, you heap rules and requirements on the people without lifting a finger to help them. He goes off about the prophets and their tombs and the hypocrisy of this generation, whatever. And at the end of this rebuke, he says, you prevent people from entering the kingdom while you yourselves refuse to enter. And when I read that, I... I'm not trying to be dramatic, but like literally my life changed in that moment. I got hit with this sharp, clear rebuke. It hit my life, and it, but it didn't just stop there. It went like, it hit me and then it was like directed at everybody that I was associated with, all of us. We, our hands were dirty. And by that third experience, I realized, oh, this is God. Like this is the Holy Spirit. He's talking to me. I didn't realize this was him the last two times. And I hadn't heard him talk to me like this in years. It had been like four years since I heard him say anything to me about my personal journey. And I knew this had to do with my sexuality and with the, the gay conversation. And so my first response was, okay, I don't care what this costs me. I don't care what happens. I'm not letting this go without hunting down where this came from and understanding it because I don't want to live my life without the voice of God anymore. This is exhausting. It's not fulfilling. I don't want it. I don't want to live without knowing his voice and not hearing his words, you know? Um, so I was like, I'm going to grab every breadcrumb and run down every road and just find anything I can. What is he saying? Like, I can't keep doing what I, cause I've been, I've been living years of like success in ministry and business, but it was, it was incomplete. And I was like doing this in spite of God or like leveraging God. I wasn't following God and it was deeply troubling. So for him to be speaking again, I was like, Oh God, this is concerning what he's saying, but I would rather be concerned and troubled and hear him been successful and not. So I made a decision that day that I would listen, genuinely consider what people had to say who were affirming of the gay community, of the LGBTQ plus community. What did they have to say? I never sincerely listened to any of, any of them, their arguments, their research, their, you know, 
their points. So I, did, I purpose in my heart, I'm going to go do research. I'm going to find every voice that has anything to say about this. I don't even care if they're like not Christian. I don't care what they say. I just need to discern, is there truth in what they're saying? But the conviction just continued to unfold from there. Moses showed up in my head, that moment where he saw an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew and he went over out of the nobility and like the justice thing and he killed the Egyptian. I was like, that's exactly what I haven't done. Ugh. That's... I've not lived like that. I've watched Egyptians beating on Hebrews, like my brothers and sisters, and I let it happen because I was benefiting from Egypt. The empire was like serving me. So I let this happen on my watch and I knew better, right? Like God had spoken to me multiple times in my life about this and I didn't want to know it. And so I just kept feigning ignorance and allowing this to happen. And I just felt such a deep sorrow and like sadness and grief, like, that I had behaved the way that I had, that I had handled this the way that I had. And I knew I needed to change. I needed to shift this. This wasn't practical. It was human. It was life, right? But it was holy. It was, it was spiritual. It was like, I, God deserves better than this for me. They deserve better than this for me. What kind of a fake hypocritical life have I been living, right? And so that was like deeply troubling. And then I was wrestling with the Lord, just kind of like rationing, like, like, God, I don't, if I move in this direction, like, I don't want to be a gay minister. I don't want to only speak to gay people. I don't only want to talk about gay things. And I'm like sitting here, like throwing off these, like these whiny, like demands. And then Jonah shows up in my mind. I'm like, oh, and I just feel condemned again, not by God, but just realizing like Jonah's over here throwing a fit. He doesn't want to go preach the gospel to Nineveh, right? And I'm like, oh, and then I realized like, when did my message and my gifting or whatever become my jurisdiction? When did this stuff become my property and stuff that I got to decide what to do with? And so I got to repent for that. And I was like, how did I get here? How did I, my mind and my thinking and my values get to the point where this was all up to me? Hopefully we're noticing a pattern at this point, right? And so I had to like soberly recognize this is not my call and I have to surrender this. I, even if that is what ends up happening in my life, like who am I to tell God no? Who are any of us to tell God no, <laughs> right? To tell him what, he, what he's supposed to want or what he's supposed to say to us. I also remembered at that point, it had been 14 years. 14 years ago, he told me, I want this to remain a little longer. And I told him, if that's what you want, then that's what I want too. Everything I did from that point on was to try and fix or change my sexuality as if he had never said anything. I betrayed him. I abandoned him in what he expressed to me in, in a vulnerable moment. And I, I was like, yeah, I'm on board. Let's do it. And then I absolutely bailed, <laughs> which is embarrassing to like look back and recognize, but that absolutely happened. And I was like, shoot, how is this my, how did I do this to him? How did I live like this? And then Mary, the mother of Jesus shows up as well. Like this virgin who's supposed to be giving birth. And you know, that was controversial. That was expensive for her. That was probably not understood but she embraced it. That's not what I've done, right? I just continued to expose all these. So anyway, I started doing research. I've ordered a bunch of books. I started watching like YouTube videos and listening to podcasts and reading articles and just doing a bunch of research and listening to any and everyone. And I was shocked at how much research had been done and how much work had been put into this over the last decade that I'd never heard of before. I'm like, how is all this information out here? And none of us, no one around me knows any of this. And they were bringing some very good points up to the conversation, asking some very good questions that none of us had any answers for. And I'm like, what are we doing? This is really awkward. Um, and so the more research and the more learning that I, that I did, the more implicated I felt just even on an academic level, just intellectually. I'm like, man, I have not been sincere or honest in this place. So going through this re repentance process, I started like pulling some people in my life, some other close friends and family members. I'm like, Hey, we got to talk. And I started telling them what was happening. And I get these like, looks like, Oh my gosh what does this mean? What do I do with this? Like, you know, and that was a journey for all of us to navigate. Like this is a lot to unload on anybody. Right. And then a lot to sort through, especially for Christians. It's a lot. And I understood that. And so we're sitting there like, sort of, and I kind of was like apologetic. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. This is happening. I got And I kind of talked about this, like, like I'm presenting something filthy and like embarrassing that we have to talk about. And then somebody in my life came up to me and they're like, Hey, I want to thank you for telling us what you did. I want to thank you for saying yes to God all those years ago. Like, I think he might've offered this to other people and people probably said no, but you said yes. You, I just admire your trust in the Lord and your willingness to like be with him there. And I was like, wow, thanks. And then a week later, a friend of mine asked me about that conversation and I started just sharing some of it. And then I, it hit me. I don't know why it took a while, but I just started crying immediately. I was choked up and shocked at the emotion that was coming out. And I realized in that moment, I had been treating God and relating to God like he was a scam artist, like he had tricked me. Like this was happening to me and I was being happened to, you know, and I was a victim in this situation. 
I didn't know that, but it just like became very obvious and clear. I was like, whoa. And I realized like, that's not true. He didn't trick me. God didn't pull a fast one over me. He's not doing this to me. He gave me a choice. Genuinely, I'm convinced in that moment, I had a choice and whatever I chose would have been consequential. I made a choice and I chose him. I'm not a victim here. He did not trick me. He was honest and forthcoming and gave me an option, gave me a choice, right? And I just wasn't showing up. And so like dignity was restored back to me. And I realized also that I was walking around with my tail between my legs. Like I was some kind of stepchild, right? Or some illegitimate kid in the family. Like I didn't belong here. Like I was a second class citizen. And I realized like also that, that was how I was feeling and like acting. I was like, whoa, that's not true either. Like God doesn't give perverted or sinful assignments to his kids. He doesn't invite them into something nasty or harmful. Like that's not what he's doing. This thing that's on my life, this thing he invited me into, this is holy. This is just, this is a worthy cause. I was dignified in this process and this work mattered. I wasn't limping along, right? Like I wasn't having my life stolen from me and I'm just like over here trying to survive like what God was doing. He invited me into something beautiful, something purposeful. And so I started like changing my mind and having to repent and repentance for me prohibited speaking in a disparaging way about being a gay person, about gay people, about the LGBTQ plus community. And so then my attitude had to change as well regarding the people around me. I couldn't let people around me speak disparagingly about the LGBTQ plus community anymore either. It was actually another extension of my betrayal to the Lord to tolerate homophobia and like prejudice against these people around me. When, when I knew better and I was like repenting for this, I had to start demonstrating that in my environment. So that was awkward for us. I stopped being apologetic. I stopped being like all shameful and like small. And I started like standing up for like, no, these are people. <laughs> these are people and God loves them. And it's not okay for you to look at them like they're broken or something's wrong and you have something, you have to fix them or they're second class, like that's not appropriate. Like how did we get here? It just started becoming more and more painfully obvious how unloving we were, how removed from this we were, how insulated from it we were, how much we didn't get it. It started getting really awkward. The things I would hear Christians say, say to me, but then I remember what I said, and I hear them say about gay people. We say words like support and love and accept, unconditional love. We say these things, but our attitude and our behavior and the way we treat the, those people, it's not acceptance, it's not support, it's not unconditional love. It's the opposite of those things. I'm like, how do we get away with saying this stuff? but we treat these people this way and they experience us this way. Like, and so when I started embracing that position, embodying that incarnated shame in our culture, it became so painfully obvious. And it was like shocking to me. I was, I was so embarrassed on behalf of us. And then on, my, on behalf of myself, I'm like, this is so wrong. It's so bad. So a friend of mine was talking to me and he was like, Hey, what's the last thing you heard? God say to you. And at the time, people on my team, I would gather on every Tuesday and we would do these like spiritual exercises. We would just wanted to test like, how far could we get and understand in perceiving knowledge or information in the spirit world? Um, so one day we did all these different funny like games or experiments. Um, and so one day we had everyone on my team, their faces like on pictures on the ottoman. And then a bunch of us were sitting around it and we had blindfolds on. And then there was someone coordinating this whole experience, right? So they put our hand on people's faces. And then this particular round, we were supposed to hear, like ask God anything he wanted to say in English to this person or about this person or whatever. And so we we're all just kind of saying out loud what we felt, but we had no idea who we were touching. And so Zach, my brother-in-law was sitting next to me and he said, forbidden is his love. And then we found out that his hand was on my face, which was awkward. It was, the room got quiet really fast. We're like, what do what do we do with that? That's really weird. But I felt when he said that, I was like, something's true about what he just said. What he just said, that's God. Like, it was just clear to me, like, this is the Lord, which it sounded like a negative message at first, but I was like, I don't think it's negative. I don't know what it means. I don't know what that's about, but I feel like this was God. Anyway, so a few weeks later, a good friend of mine was like, what's the last, Mike, what's the last thing you heard God say to you in English, as you say? And so I told him, he, it was that, he, that I was his dream back from the dead. That's the last thing he told me. And then like two hours later, I was by myself and I was thinking, I was like, and it struck me like, again, like an M. Night Shyamalan moment, like a creepy, scary moment at the end of the movie where something twists and you realize something true that had been true this whole time. I realized that wasn't the last thing he said to me. The last thing he said to me in English was, 
that moment with Zach and Mika, you have forbidden something I have not. Now, I've, that, I'm convinced that was about them, but all of a sudden, for the first time, because of the things Zach said in that moment, I was like, I don't think that was just about Zach and Mika. I think it was about them, but I think God was also saying, I was forbidding something in my life that he hadn't. And so then that moment later where he's like, forbidden is his love. Like I was forbidding the love coming out of my life and God was not forbidding it. I was like, this is crazy. And it was, wasn't until that experience that I looked back at every single explicit thing God said to me. And I was like, I think this whole time he's been talking to me about that. I thought he was talking about a bunch of different things at different times, depending on the season that I was in in my life. But I think this has been one continuous conversation my whole life. He's been persistently advocating for me as a gay person, refusing for there to be a change here and wanting to embrace me. And I was aware that I was being invited into being fully loved and accepted there and I couldn't do it because I hated that I was gay. I couldn't accept the gay thing. And so it got to a point where in this process, I had to repent and I had to stop fighting the Lord. And I had this huge wrestling match for a few months there. I was like, if I accept what God is saying, has been saying to me my whole life about this, then I'm saying no to church. I'm saying no to church leaders. I'm saying no to my mentors. I'm saying no to upstanding theology. I'm saying no to being a respectable minister in the existent church today. I'm saying no to all of that if I'm going to say yes to him here, because what he's saying to me here is the opposite of what they all believe and fight for. And so I chose that for so long and it got to the point where this just wasn't acceptable anymore. And it really boiled down to, do I want to honor the Lord? Or do I want to continue to be honored by my leaders and mentors and the establishment? And it just kept growing less and less worth it to do this. It got to the point where I was like, none of these people are going to answer to the Lord on my behalf. Nobody here has to stand before him in that place where you're naked and exposed with no barrier. And none of their theology is going to protect me is going to justify me or vindicate me from the intimacy that is expected from our relationship. The fidelity, the faithfulness, like he was only loving, only kind, only faithful, only humble, only vulnerable with me. And I continued to reject him because of all of this. So I had to then get to a point where I said out loud, I am a gay man. And it was so uncomfortable to say that the first time. I felt like I was cussing, like I was breaking the rules and betraying my community, you know? But I had to choose into that space because it wasn't enough to just talk about this or think about it. I had to start like embodying, incarnating, owning what the Lord was asking of me and had invited me into all this time. And then it got to the point where talking about it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to argue or research. I had to like start living like a gay person or I wasn't actually walking this out. I could feel it like the people I was talking to in the church world were fine with me bringing this up and sharing my experiences as long as I wasn't embracing the lifestyle is how that would come up. It's like hard not to get angry when I say that right now. As long as I wasn't acting on it, this is fine. Whatever, you can say all you want about the gay thing. But the moment you actually start functioning like a gay person and letting that kind of love out, done. You're done. I literally had a mentor in my life tell me, hey, Mike, you can be attracted to men. That's not a big deal. People who are attracted to the same sex go to heaven. It's not Jesus. It's Jesus loves them. It's when you, the moment you pursue a relationship with a man that you're not following Jesus anymore. And I was like, huh. And it just became even more of a contrast, like an obvious. And I, I appreciated his candor. I knew he believed that. I, re- I appreciated that he represented it, right? But it just made it so obvious. Like, yeah, I, what is this? This is nothing compared to my relationship with God. This is nothing compared to the accountability that I have here, the intimacy that I have here. It got to the point where I, I had to start choosing now. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to start trying to date dudes. I have no idea how to do that. I've never dated people, honestly, in my life. This is crazy. That is a journey, right? And that's kind of where we fall into the current place that I'm in in my life. But in that, it wasn't just me. It's, this is not just about me. Although even if it were, even if it was only about me, this is worth it. But I couldn't go on this journey and I couldn't learn and discover and experience everything that I'm telling you and not address this, not confront the hypocrisy and the bigotry and the severe lack of love and the condemnation coming from Christians on this issue. I can't be silent about that. 
anymore. I can't pretend like it's acceptable. I can't pretend like the way we interpret scripture and the way we use it to exclude and marginalize a whole people group, to protect us from them, to limit our exposure to these people, to like treat them like there's something wrong and we've got to give them the antidote. Like that is unacceptable. And Jesus, his entire ministry condemns that whole attitude and we are sick with it. So part of my response in this journey is to address the rot that I've witnessed in the church this whole time, but then especially in the last couple of years as I've embraced and come out as a gay person, the way I've been treated, the attitude, the behavior, the choices people, Christians have made toward me is unacceptable. It is not love. It is the other stuff and it is awkward how obvious it is. My team and I have gone on a journey. We've been on this journey for two, almost two years now and it's been drama. It has been work. It has been tearful conversations. It has been arguments. It has been realizations, epiphanies, lots of reading, lots of dialogue, lots of sharing of like things we're finding on the internet. So much work has gone into this. So I understand what I'm saying to you now is a lot. I understand that. But hopefully I'm not just giving you information. Hopefully I'm sharing with you a piece of my life, a piece of my heart, and some of the most profound experiences I've had with the Lord. Here's the deal. God doesn't hate gay people. Here's the other part of that deal. He's not changing them. I used to think maybe this is just unique to Mike. Maybe he's only doing this with me. Maybe he's only saying this to me. I don't think that's true anymore. He hasn't told me this, so I'm not saying this on behalf of God. I'm saying based on my witness of his character and his presence in my life and his voice, in my experience. He's not changing these people because nothing's wrong with them. The Bible does not condemn these people. Now, that's work. There's context, right, to look into this because we have six passages that people use in reference to condemn gay people. And if you look at each of those, they actually are talking about different types of people, different situations in different times of history. It's not just a sweeping condemnation of homosexuals. It's not accurate. And I'm not here to try and like twist scripture to get it to confirm that people can be gay. It's not that. It's the Bible says what it's saying in the context that it's saying it in, directed toward whatever sin it's addressing. It's not gay people. And then the church has come in with attitudes and opinions and biases and agendas and used this book against this group of people. And it's not the first or second time we've done this to a group of people that weren't us. So we've got some messes to clean up. We've got some serious problems that we've created that God is not on board with. He's not okay with. So what does that mean for NUMA? What does that mean for us as an organization, as a team? Um, I wanted to just at least give you some clarity there as well. I and NUMA as an organization are fully affirming of the LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus community. What does that entail? We're not just tolerating them. We're not just giving them a free pass. We're not just like turning a blind eye to the, the perversion that they are. We are embracing that there is nothing wrong with these people, that they are exactly how they're supposed to be. God is not going to change them because he doesn't want to do that. They are to be treated with equality like everybody else. We are growing in our understanding of our privilege and the seat we're sitting in and taking responsibility for what that means in society and our impact. So we are now officially an ally to the LGBTQ plus family. We will cover and protect and support and empower and equip our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. Not in spite of how they identify, but equitably prioritizing their care and support. Um, Hopefully that's explicit enough. There's not question about how we feel and how we're going to be relating to them. And this is not because we're angry. It's not because we're offended. It's not because we want to rub anything in anybody's faces. This is because, I mean, I'm speaking on behalf of myself, but then us as a team, we value God as a person. We love and trust this person, not the Bible, not ideology, not doctrine, God, the Holy Spirit who is dwelling among us. We know and love and trust this person. And so we are embracing the LGBTQ plus community because he's doing that. And as offensive and controversial and unpopular as that choice and move is, we are choosing to do that in the light corporately because we see God doing that. And We're not interested in getting more support from people who conditionally align themselves with us because we're saying the right things. We want to see justice exercised in the world. We want to see mercy demonstrated. We want to walk humbly before our God. We don't want to keep doing the Christian thing. We want to love people. So definitively, we are there. We didn't get there overnight. It didn't happen quickly. It was a journey. That's why we relocated to Nashville. So my whole team relocated here because we care about this. It's not just this. We care about justice and the gospel. And this happens to be included in that. This is not separate. It's not like a side thing. This is absolutely 
in the family. So we're getting after it. And my team, they're all in the room right now and we're all just so excited to get to finally draw the line in the sand and say, we are standing on the side of the vulnerable and the marginalized in our society. And we're choosing to follow Jesus and how he responds to them and not do what the church has been doing for a long time. Whew. Thank you for listening to my story. If you are queer in any way and you're still in the closet or you're out and you need someone to talk to, you can always reach out to my team. If you have a family member or a loved one who's queer, or if you're a pastor in ministry and you're wrestling with this conversation, you also can reach out to my team. We are happy to talk with you guys. I put together a video series synthesizing all of the research that I've done on queer theology and put it together in one singular work. That's available on NUMA Plus if you wanna check it out. We also have a resource page on my website if you'd like to check out those resources as well. All of the pertinent information and links for the things I'm talking about here are available in the description of this video. Listen, God loves you and he accepts you exactly the way you are. There is nothing wrong with you. And if anybody tries to use the Bible to convince you that there's something fundamentally wrong with you, they're wrong. That kind of teaching produces all kinds of bad fruit in the life of a human being. The Bible says that you are drowning in grace. It's time for all of us to grow up, to meet God in the grace that he has supplied and watch him transform the world, starting with us. Sending you guys lots of love. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.